Okay, what's up, gang? It's good to be with you again. First of all, I want to give a little preface to one of my 2024 goals uh, for the pod. I wanted to do like more fun content um, and also have more guests. Hence today's episode with Marissa Velasquez. Hi! Yay, it's super <laughs> exciting. But as always with my guests, I like to ask a couple of things. Who are you and what do you do? Okay, hello. My name is Marissa Velasquez. I am one of Shai's friends from freshman year, throwing it way back. I am a senior currently studying uh, Stratcom and public relations as well as professional writing. So it's been a very interesting experience uh, attending Purdue, which is a very STEM school and having nothing to do with that. And I'm sure Shai can attest to that sure. as well. How did we meet? I actually have a story, but I don't know. If, do you want me to go first or do you want to go first? I can go first. Okay. I, think it was, but I think the first time I met you, it was in like a dorm lobby. And like I had like a, maybe a five minute conversation with you. And then you got sucked in. For context, our friend group was basically like this like melting pot so like at one time our like group chat i was like active with like 36 people in it which is an insane amount of people like and that's basically where like the core groups formed and then over the years our friend groups have kind of like sectioned off in the little factions so i'm now in shy's faction yes no and our faction is uh we're the outcasts uh as someone described which i don't mind because that means we're cool and whatever whatever so yes we have the okay so we have the setting is a door uh, residence hall lobby right but specifically i remember i was i got dinner with he who shall not be named but you know who i'm talking about you know who i'm talking about pretty sure yes we had gotten dinner that night and Later on, I would go to ask you what you thought, like, what's your first impression of me? And you said that you thought I was dating him, and I was like, that's actually insane. Actually insane. I because apologize. if you thought that, no, if you thought that, everybody else thought that, and I was like, we were bestie vibes only, okay? Not even bestie vibes, but, like, you get what I'm saying. But I remember you and Jack, you guys sat down, and we started, like, introducing ourselves or whatever, whatever. And I remember, like, being like, oh, like, are you guys friends or something? Like, are you dating? And at the time, I think you guys were like talking or something like that. But I remember that Jack said something like, yeah, we're friends. And then like you looked over to him and you were like, what? Or something like he said, do you want to be my girlfriend? And you said yes. And you oh! guys started dating that night. Okay. Yeah. So we were talking, nothing official ever happened. And so we were in like a big group with our friends. You were joining and that's the first time we met you. And so someone just out of the blue said, so are you guys dating now? Jack immediately resists. So I was like, yeah, are you kidding now? Immediately responded. Jack's like, yeah. And I just gave a look. Yeah, you did. I remember you looked over at him. I paused and I just gave a look. And I'm like, this is news to me. When did this happen? As far as I know, you never asked me. And he's like, oh, I have to do that? Which has been a common theme in my life. Multiple people who I, I've gone on like one or two days with immediately assume, oh, we're official now. So that was yeah. that was an interesting moment. I remember walking away from that and I was feeling so proud of myself. I was like, dang, look at me. I'm little Miss Cupid. Little Miss Cupid. <laughs> you guys are dating. Yeah. And, and then 
Uh, flash forward, we are broken <gasps> up, but we're still best friends. Yeah. But I was thinking the other day when I was like writing the script, I was like, oh my gosh, because you had done my nails. And yes. so one of like the intro like introductory questions I wanted to ask was like, in an alternate life or like alternate universe, what do you think your job is? Because I was gonna say you're either a nail tech Ooh. or baker. And I don't know if that's true, it could be off. You're very close actually. Yeah, yeah let's go, baby! I'm too good. Okay, tell me what it is. Okay, sophomore year of college, I had a full mental breakdown. My medications uh, I was in like two or three of them, they all stopped working and essentially I was just like a husk of myself. And so that definitely led to kind of a reevaluation of like, I'm failing a lot of classes right now, do I want to like continue school? Am I not happy because I'm in school and I'm not doing what I want? So there was a period of time where I thought about dropping out and going to culinary school. So really? I, yeah, I think I honestly would have been a chef or a baker and I think once I become an established adult, have make free time for myself, I would like to take more like technical cooking classes. I don't know why I have, you're like the second, so I have another friend, Maggie, we did a pod episode like last year and she's also, uh, she goes to Ivy Tech for culinary school. Oh, I remember the episode, mm -hmm. yes. Yep, and she like bakes and stuff and I think she loves it. So I'm like happy, like it works out, but like mm -hmm. that'd be cool. Also, I was gonna say, so I'm trying to get back into my reading girl era, okay? Kate and I went to DC this weekend and I got this book, it's called The Fine Print. It's part of this, I don't know if you've heard of Lauren Asher. Did you ever have a romance book era? I did not see. I had a lot of book eras. I like the closest to a romance book era I got was uh, reading fan fiction and then please, please. reading a lot of fan fiction. Yeah. And uh, I think Rainbow Rawls Fangirl was like the, like the one romance book that I read. Or like the John, it's like from the John Green books, just because like they were popular at the time and stuff like that. And it was like the quirky, edgy characters were popular. And I'm like, oh, I identify with that. But. Dude. So like in middle school, I feel like my sister, she was a big into fanfic and I didn't really get into fanfic, but I did read a little bit of it. I feel like COVID. I was like trying a bunch of new stuff and you know, you just get them towards them. Anyway, but um, in 2022 is when I had like the, it was the burst of my romance girl era. And mm -hmm. I, like literally you look at my bookshelf, the entire second row is all just romance books. But, so there's this Dreamland Billionaire series, and like this is like the last and final book, and like the female love care, uh, love interest, she's like a baker, like that's her dream job. Mm -hmm. So I thought about that. It's yeah. completely decided related, but I honestly, I would love to be either an actor or like a VA. I forgot that I, I didn't forget, but like I forgot that in high school I did theater and I loved it so much. Honestly, but I kind of low-key hated myself at the same time because like I would always get super upset with like casting and stuff like I never thought that I was good enough because I didn't get lead roles and so I kind of based like my worth in theater off of the positions but there's like high school politics of like who gets oh. what role and I yeah. didn't realize I didn't put that two and two together I just hated myself in general so I was like oh one more reason to just cry but I actually won uh, uh, actor of the year so my senior year yeah, I was, so we did this performance, it was called These Shining Lives, it's like this really old. Uh, is that about the, um, the Radium Girls? Oh yes. my gosh, you know it? That's crazy! Oh my gosh! Dude, when I talk about this, like, I feel like nobody knows what it is, right? But I was Charlotte, I don't know if you remember Charlotte, she's like the mean character. So, don't, to be fair, I got cast as, like, the angry character, which... As uh, sassy black woman! Sassy black woman, but it doesn't feel good when you get cast as that, no. when, you know what I'm saying? But... She has this moment uh, in the second act 
where I think she finds out that they're sick and like they're gonna die basically and so she comes to terms with that and like she kind of breaks down it's like this very strong character who obviously is just overcome with like distraught at you know like her future and so I remember very specifically like during the intermission I would go to the room and I would just like not talk to anybody and I would like get myself in such a depressed state so that I could cry during that scene and I did it every single time and I like nailed the performance. I was so proud of myself. So it actually felt good at the end of the year yeah. to get that. Even though it was COVID year and we didn't get to finish it, but Yeah. I had friends in theater who told me a million stories and then my younger cousin, not my story to tell, but the stuff she tells me, I'm like I just like I'm excited for those like high children to become adults look back on it and be like, oh, we weren't good people. Yeah, and like, that's another thing. It's just like the unnecessary drama that accompanied theater in general, especially the musical. I will say like, the plays weren't as high. Uh, I mean, they're still like pretty competitive, I will say. Because another thing, another reason why I was so sad about that role was because it wasn't my original role. Like my one of my friends, Yasmin, who was also a POC, who got cast in that role, she wanted the lead, and I think she did deserve the lead. I think the person who was the lead was good in it, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. But she was upset because she had, she was very talented, and she didn't get it, and so she dropped, and then I felt like a second choice, which didn't make yeah. it any better, you know what I mean? But in general, it was very weird. I feel like everybody was sleeping with each other. Everybody had a crush on each other. It was very sexualized. Um, There's always one senior that's going out with like the freshman or the sophomore. We had that. And it's just, ugh. I took one intro to theater class and I liked it, but I never really just kind of fell into it. I think there was a possibility for me, but at the time I was playing volleyball and like that was yeah. my first priority. So I didn't want to like put my hands into too many pots. Yeah, so on that note, did you only play volleyball in high school? Yeah, I okay. didn't really do like any, anything else, any other. No, I didn't okay. do any other activities. Well, I was gonna say on the note of us being like the outcast of our friend group, one of the things like I in high school, so I did theater, but I also did sports, right? And so like the intermixing between the groups should have been an indicator that like I was gonna end up as like a in my own group one day. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because it's like people don't fit into the. Were you like the athlete? I definitely was not like the athlete. I was kind of more like I feel like lower mid ranking of just like I have like a good group of friends and like we didn't really like reach out to a ton of other people. But like in that we had like another really good volleyball player, a cheerleader. I think it was just like we were like lower mid and we were content with that. Yeah. Like we didn't really feel a need to like try to like reach up. Like I could tell you, like I don't know what you, about you, but like in your high school, if there were like people who would like latch on to people more popular than them and use them as like a social ladder. Really, people? I mean, I'm assuming people did that. I'm trying to. I don't know who would have done that in my high school, but I'm sure the phenomenon happened. And I don't know if they even realized themselves doing it, but they, there was like a core group of friends, like who were popular, who did like, like the weird popular kid stuff where they all dated each other and like, yeah. it felt a little incestuous. And then there was like the people below them who would sometimes like leap up or like try to be really good friends with them and like stick their arm neck out for like these popular kids. And the popular kids wouldn't give back the same energy, so it was just a little awkward to kind of see those interactions happen. Yeah. But... Like, one of my friends is getting engaged, or she's planning on getting engaged, oh and I'm like... Okay, let's talk about oh, that. Yeah. I think, okay, so uh, the other day, I learned from Andrew, 
uh, that there's this uh, concept of ring before spring in the South. Have you heard about this? Oh, it's not, uh, BYU is like known for Oh it. my gosh, not the Mormons, BYU, yeah. please. Yeah, and it's uh, another, a college that I was actually looking at, Grace College in Indiana. I've heard about that. All they, girls, right? No. Oh, it's not? Girl, okay. No, it's girls and boys. Okay. They also have a really crazy uh, tradition of ring by spring there too. And I think a lot of it has to do with purity culture. You know? Real? Oh my gosh, that makes sense. Because you're not allowed to have sex until you get married. It's very funny. It's like a paradox within a purity culture because purity culture often has traditional roles. So a lot of times women are told their biggest goal in life and their biggest job in life is to be a mother. And they can't do that unless they have sex. And they can't do that unless they get married. So of course they want to achieve that goal of being the housemaker and the wife. And so a lot of these women will go to these schools not for an actual education, <coughs> but to find somebody with an education to then marry and then be the homemaker to achieve that goal. It obviously makes me sad for like a variety of different levels. One, I feel like you know my position, all my friends know my position on like childbearing in general and how I think it's kind of detrimental to society. Um, which the other day, like, someone under, like, I, I had commented under, like, somebody's TikTok who was, like, literally talking about this, where, like, the earth is dying and it's not really ethical to have another kid. But then they were like, it's actually a eugenics argument to say that the, um, like, we don't have the space or capacity for having more kids. And I didn't really get that because I'm not, I'm, like, not saying that black people or... I don't know, Hispanic people shouldn't have kids, but just more so like that process, like the way our society is just built so much around like finding the love of your life and then starting a family, especially like with older generations and how that still has transitioned into even younger generations, which surprises me, especially when I see like 21 year olds, 22 year olds falling into these habits that I thought were kind of like, I don't know, I guess I just have this notion that Gen Z is so much more progressive. And then like when, and we still have conservative traditional people. And I guess because we live in Indiana, it's easier to see those still yeah. traditions. But I still get surprised because I'm just like, you have a long life to live. And I know that some people like find the love of their life in college and then they get married and they stay together. And you know, like it works out in the end for them. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I just have my own opinions because I'm a hater. And it's not that like I'm like coming from the, at this like, oh, because I want to be in a relationship. Because I was talking with my therapist the other day, like how I'm just very content being single. And I'm actually like super happy being single these days. Also, I would like to say um, engagements always come in twos. Like, I don't know if you like, if you've noticed, but like if you, you know, like I've seen it on my feed, like. Uh, also, hold on. If you hear a guitar in the background, that's because our upstairs neighbor is literally playing the same tunes. He's been playing all, they've been playing all day, so I apologize. Continue. But engagement they, in two. The engagement's always coming to. Like, I'll see one person, like, get engaged, like Grant, and then I had another mutual one, like, that got engaged. And I'm like, and then in my past, uh, in my professional writing class last semester, two people got engaged. And the, the semester before that, in my creative writing class, two people got engaged. They always come in twos. I don't know why, but literally, whenever people get engaged, like, if one person gets engaged, look around, because no. there's going to be another one. I was going to say, Grant got engaged, and this other person I know from government, student government, got engaged too. I'm like, dang, yes, exactly. what is happening? It's such a weird phenomenon. Yeah. Like, they always come in pairs. And like, they're never engaged to each other. It's not like, oh, I know two yeah. people who got engaged together. No, it's two separate engagements. 
you know, it's but, crazy. Like, yeah. I just... Also, I would like to clarify, we're not doxing people who, like, get engaged early. If that's your choice and you're genuinely happy, good. Like, that's great for you. Like, obviously, I have friends that have gotten engaged early and they're genuinely happy. But I think if the mindset is, I have to be married, and this ring by spring is, like, I have to be married. Having pressure on you to either wait or to not wait is still very detrimental and can really affect your whole outlook on relationships and your interactions with other people. Instead of viewing like people you're attracted to, whether you're like straight or gay, like in my turn, I'm straight. So like if I were to view men with this ring by spring attitude, I would immediately see everyone only as a potential partner and not look at people's value for their friendships and other like, acquaintance type things and could really like jump into somebody without kind of seeing their red flags right i also think that and i don't necessarily know if this connects or not but like i think that some people who make the argument that men and women can't be friends can only can kind of be like further exacerbated by this like ring by spring because it's like if you are a woman only pursuing men for this, then like I'm assuming you really can't be friends with men because like that's only gonna like the one thing that's gonna be on your mind is this idea of I need to be with a man or I need to find a man. Yeah. So like all of your interactions, like you said, are going to be romantic in nature. And one of the things, so Kate has read some books about asexuality. And one of the things that she taught me about or told me about from one of the books she read was like how I talked about earlier, how like we really prioritize relationships in our culture that it makes other relationships feel meaningless. Like for instance, I want to prioritize my friendships. I think that like I'm a big, I love Plato, okay? I'm a traditional gal. And I think that, well, Aristotle's one of Plato's students. And Aristotle has this idea that he thinks that like um, friendship, like life, friendship is like at the core of a good soul and I genuinely believe in that like I think that friendship should just be so much more valuable than relationships because I know relationships can be temporary and I know that one part of relationships is mutual attraction and this has been shown in study 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 after time and time again right like that's one of like the core reasons people get together and I just think that like friendships I don't know I've been really trying to like I love my friends so much. You know what I'm saying? And I think that's another reason why I feel so fulfilled and not having a romantic relationship. But I know that you are in a relationship. And one of the things that I wanted to talk about today was like this concept of mixed identities. And specifically, well, I have a bunch of questions over that. But specifically, let's jump to dating outside of your race or ethnicity. Because I know that there are some people that I've met who have like very strong opinions on this. And like, for instance, I have some black friends back home and they used to always clown on me for liking white guys, right? Because like, duh. Um, and they're like very big advocates of just like not dating white men and stuff like that, or like white people in general. And so thoughts on dating black men? <laughs> I mean, I am dating one, so I know. like I'm not like, no, I never. And it's always been interesting to me because, um, what do you call it? I've never had a type. Like, I feel like, especially, like, when you look at, like, some people's dating records, my dating record isn't great, it's mostly been white men, but that's also because of the area I lived in and the yeah. kind of people I attracted, I just happened to be white, uh, but, like, 
my top three celebrity crushes are Jacob Alerti, Idris Elba, and Orlando Bloom, who are very, three very different yeah. looking people, I will say. Also, two of them are like over the age of like 45. Okay. Another thing to add to that. You know, I don't have a problem with that at all, okay? I uh, you know. <laughs> so I think to me, that's always been like so weird of like focusing in or like fetishizing oh certain like, like ethnic traits. Like, my boyfriend will joke around how I'm like a big booty Latina and shit, and it's just like, like yes and no, like, like, it's fetishizing certain features, and like we see this a yeah. lot, especially now with like K-pop fans and like Asian fetishes. Oh my gosh, like, yeah. It's just like, like you can be attracted to certain features, but when we start to kind of place like racial labels on them, I think it could be really harmful, because like. Not every Latina woman has a fat ass, and I am I am one of them who doesn't have a fat ass. Okay. So I still don't know All right, stop let's, being okay, gay. let's stop. Let's stop with the lies, okay? <laughs> Fake propaganda. But one of the examples that I thought just thought about when you were talking about fetishizing are people who specifically fetishize on not dating a particular race. Yes, that makes me that rubs me the wrong way. For instance, I have this friend. Not gonna name her name. But when we were younger, she was like, I'm never going to date black people. I just don't find them attractive, yada, yada, yada. And to be fair, I was her best, like, we were very close friends. So her saying that to me kind of made me feel some type of way because I'm like, uh, do you like black people? Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, why are you friends with me? But her justification was it, like, again, for it was like, I just don't find them attractive. And I was like, okay. I was telling her, I was like, but you haven't met every single black person. Like, you can't, like, I will never say I won't ever date or I won't ever like a certain race or demographic because I just know I've never met every single person in that demographic mm -hmm. and I could be attracted to some people. Oh, yeah. Right? Um, and it's ironic because now she is a lesbian and she has, she has like a mini crush on this black girl. And I was like, it's so funny because this is, proves my mm -hmm. point. Like, you say that and then you can like black people but one of the things I was talking with Kelly about the other day with me particularly and I don't know if you've ever experienced this but like sometimes I fear that I don't like black men or that I won't ever date a black man even though I found black men are very attractive I have a hard time when like some of them have pursued me and Kelly and I were talking about this and I didn't know if it was like true or not but I want to date Anybody like I would I would be open to dating anybody. I don't want to date anybody right now. Don't get me wrong But have you ever thought about like I don't know that you're afraid to date Hispanic men? You know and I have thought about this. I'm like and like part of me I'm very conflicted about it because I think a lot of it has to do with cultural differences, too And especially the ones in my life like my father He is not that kind of Mexican he has he's very americanized number one so i think that also changes the scope of things but you know it's like i have never been pursued by a mexican and i think a lot of times too because it's automatically everyone assumes i'm white or i'm not mexican enough because a lot of mexicans look i do kind of like to date within the race and mm. it's not a bad thing or they normally like white people it's from what i have seen and noticed looking at like uh, my personal like family and like friends who are also Hispanic and so there's also the issue too of like part of me does want to marry a Mexican just because I have someone who then relates to my identity yeah. like I I've, for those of you not watching the video I am green eyes pasty and like white hair 
my abuelita is from uh, the area it's decently close to where Canelo is for context. So like Canelo, famous Mexican boxer, white ginger. So Mexicans come in different like colors mm-hmm. as well. And so because of that, I don't look Mexican and oftentimes I don't feel Mexican. And something that I've realized that I've gotten older and started dating and like looking at relationships in the future is if I don't marry someone that's Mexican, I can lose my last name, which is Velasquez, and is one of the only like kind of concrete evidence I have of like proving myself as a Mexican. So like with that, I lose part of my uh, identity if I choose a last name that is a Mexican. So I mean, I remember when you told me, I think like when I first met you, I just thought you were white and then you told me you were like POC. I was like, oh, and I should have known from your last name, but I just don't think I knew your last name at that point in time. But like on this point of like not feeling Mexican enough, um, but I think it gets at like even our presentation and how we carry ourselves can be kind of indicative of like our personality, right? I think communication is one of the biggest things, biggest parts of culture. And I think that like like differences in communication can like add to just differences in your relationship in general. Oh yeah, it's code switching. Yeah. Like, what do you call it? My dad uh, was in Sigma Lambda Beta, which is a Mexican or Hispanic uh, fraternity and stuff like that. And so I don't have many Mexican friends. Really the only like Mexican interaction I get is with my family or with my dad's fraternity brothers. So how me and my dad act with my mom's side of the family, the white side versus my dad's side, it is, day and night, like the way we speak, the topics that we speak about, I think how we present ourselves is also very different. I want to talk about mixed identities because we're talking about race and it's like mm-hmm. the perfect, perfect, perfect transition. So like I said earlier, uh, do, do you have a favorite like stereotype of your race or ethnicity? I would say I don't like how sexualized Latina women are just because uh, a lot, like a lot of my teachers are like some of my biggest role models in life and like they are... I mean, they're pretty Catholic, so they're very, like, pious women. But I would say, like, my favorite stereotype is, like, the homemaker Latina. Like, oh. the woman who could cook and clean and raise children and rules the roost with, like, an iron fist. And I think a lot of times that's where the fetish, a lot of the fetishization comes from this idea of, oh, she's thick and she's also going to be the perfect housewife and take care of the kids. Well, there's also the fact that they will rule the house with an iron fist. Like, they... Like the Latina women in my life are so strong and powerful and like so opinionated. And then you also get this like other stereotype of like beat you if you like look at her in the wrong way. And I think both of those are very true, but a lot of times men will really only favor one or the other because they want the feisty one or they want the homemaker but they don't want the other components that come with it i love how we both chose a very strong representations of women in for both but the other one that i like about black people is that we're always late because uh, yeah like i see okay it depends I was having this conversation with them because I know you're punctually on time and I know one of the things that bothers you probably about me and Brie is that we'll show up late to things like an hour, hour and a half late. And now I'm the type of person who's like, oh, if it's like a very formal thing, I'm going to show up like early, Mm -hmm. right? But if it's like a kickback with my friends or a party with my friends, 
I'm not gonna be like I'm gonna show up an hour late, okay? Mm-hmm. Or thir- at least thirty minutes late, just because I give it time. You know, I always want to be like a celebrity entrance. You want to let it simmer for let a bit. Let it simmer for a little bit, and then walk in. Everyone's like, "Oh my gosh!" And I'm like, "Hey, how's it going?" <laughs> yeah, I think I just get too excited for things. I'm like, I am yeah. so excited, and I'm so ready to be there. So I'm gonna show up right when it starts, so I can be there as long as possible. See, but yeah. I like that about you because we like all we need people who are there on time so that when other people show up it's looking deep you know what yeah. i mean like no i yeah. agree and on i don't think i'd get mad at you for being late unless it's like something like formal like if we're meeting for like coffee or something oh yeah because i'm so used to my family doing it my mom my dad's side everyone's late like we call it mexican time we set it like we set whatever time we want people to show up like a half hour or an hour earlier because we know they're still not going to show up like unless it's 15 minutes later than the time we originally wanted and then my uh aunt yvonne and my mom's side she just runs on no host time man like those of you who don't know i'm catholic my family's raised catholic and so she's walking in and like they're so confused because like why is he doing the homily like before like mass that's weird and like after like why are everybody giving us looks and i'm like you showed up like halfway through the mass like it's basically over speaking of being catholic and anything and things like that like do does catholicism stipulate anything about like interracial dating or anything like that i will say i don't think like on paper no okay um a lot of people in our church i worked for my church over the past summer which i think is one of the more inclusive churches uh, Catholic churches, at least in our diocese, uh, we were looking for a music minister, and we have um, Will, who is phenomenal and amazing, but Will is black, and we had to let him know, hey, there is only one other black family in this parish, and we live in a predominantly white area with a ton of older folk, and they're going to be ignorant. So mm. it's not necessarily what the Catholic Church says. It's more typically the attitudes of parishioners, which can then at some points shape the church. And I'm sure that there have been priests or uh, clergy who have definitely looked down, but legally or like within the rules of the Catholic Church, at this point in time, there is nothing that bans interracial marriage. Do you think that like interracial marriages are like stigmatized or interracial relationships are stigmatized nowadays still? I mean, even now you, I mean. I would say for sure. Um, I haven't personally experienced that because my dating history has been very slim. I was nervous introducing Julian to my white side of the family because I didn't know. Honestly though, my parents like let me know, hey, they're not gonna be mad that he's black. They're gonna be mad because he's not Catholic and to prepare prepare him for that. So, I mean, I'm grateful that I have a very accepting family, but I know that racism exists everywhere, and I know for a fact that it happens. I mean, there's the trope of, like, the snow bunny, and, like, a lot of times people assume that the intentions are to, like, get back at a father, or, like, like, oh, you don't like... You made me mad, so now I'm going to sleep with someone you don't approve of. Right. So. And I think that has very, I don't know, that's always very weird to me. That, like, you're doing something on the basis of race to get back at somebody. Mm-hmm. Like, okay. Mm-hmm. A 
little strange. Yeah. A little strange. But one thing that bothers me, and this is like my own personal life, but my mom, she like sometimes she'll be like, I think you need to date a black guy because you need somebody who's strong and like gonna basically I think she wants someone who would be okay controlling me and quotes, right? Like somebody who can quote put me in check because I am such a dominant person. And I'm like, uh, I think that people date based off similarities. So like, I would not be surprised if I date somebody who is confident, who is assertive, but like controlling me or trying to put me in my place. Like she knows I'm a feminist too. Mm -hmm. It's like, why would you want this for me? That's gonna end in disaster. And I will say, I think the strong, like strong like my strong woman, like, also can be toxic because it's like toxic masculinity like men aren't allowed to have feelings and i will say that is not the case with uh julian my boyfriend um i have worn the pants in all of my relationships (laughs) and i will continue to do so so i don't know if that's perpetuating like the strong iron fist latina but what do you call it and i think it's just who i am this man is so like gentle-hearted like he's like He's still like decent, like like strong and stuff like that, but it's not like the stereotype of like the demanding like black man. Speaking, I mean, not really speaking of obstacles, I did want to ask though, like, do you think that people growing up with two or more ethnicities kind of struggled to find who they are? Or do you think that it might be easier to like kind of differentiate the different cultural aspects of yourself because you have those two identities? I think it's easier to see within other people, but for me, my mixed identity has always been a double-edged sword because of like my white passingness. I am always like having to constantly prove that I am Mexican, which is why I thought when I first came to college, I thought I was gonna like join the Latino Cultural Center, and I still get like newsletters and like keep up with them and stuff. But I was just so afraid because my entire life. Whenever I've said I'm Mexican, it's always met with the fact of like shock or you're not Mexican. No, you're white. You can't be Mexican. And so it's just like sometimes it's better to just not say anything and not have to like constantly prove yourself because it's exhausting. And when everyone's telling you that you you aren't something that you are, you can kind of start to believe it. And so with my identity, like I said, it's a double-edged sword because if I say I'm white, I don't want to like hide the fact that I'm Mexican. I'm not trying to hide it. But at the same time, if I say I'm Mexican, like I remember I was in advanced Spanish class in high school and I was with these people for about three years. And one of my professors said, oh, like Marissa, where's your family from in Mexico? And like four or five heads whipped back to me. I'm just kind of like tilted their heads and was like, what, you're Mexican? And I'm like, well, my last name is Velasquez. I'm in an advanced Spanish class. <laughs> I've talked about this before. You've known me for three or four years now. And it was just like shock and disbelief. And so having to constantly like battle for your right to your identity is just not worth it sometimes. So I'm not very vocal with it, but I never try to hide it. I think that I experienced the same thing, but to a different degree of where I am very black presenting, but people like my friends and my mom and my family have always said, shy, why do you act so white? Why do you act so white? And like, I think that they forget that I lived in foster care and I was raised by, for seven years of my life, two white people, right? And I was in white culture a lot with like theater and dance well i uh, to be fair we had a couple like 
I would say we had like a good handful of like black people on the dance team, which was really good for me. Like I needed that kind of connection with other black people who have the same interests as me because, and I like this because like, I think again, there's a very uh, one-sided picture that some people get um, about like different races or ethnicities. But one of the things I'm really happy about, like I went to the Ginger Root concert with Kate and Brie like a couple weeks ago. And I was so happy to see black people there because it's like, oh my gosh, I'm like not the only person who likes indie alt music. Kelly, liking musicals. Oh, like there are black people who have interests in different things. And I was actually very happy to find Kelly because I mean, before her, I didn't have any black friends on campus, right? And we were very similar and our concerns with our own blackness and like coming to terms with what that means. And then, but like at the end of the day, I just begun to like change my framework because like I think that impacted a big part of my identity and trying to find who I am, especially in the beginning of college. Mm -hmm. But I think these days I'm just more comfortable with the idea of like, like my blackness, you can't take that away from me, right? Like it's just mm -hmm. indefinitely a part of who I am because I think for me, me connecting with my culture is understanding the history of my culture. And like that's a much more productive way for me to be more comfortable and solidified when I can talk about, you know, speak on these things with confidence mm -hmm. and really know the lore of black people, you know? I think it's also redundant because trying to pin certain things of your identity is like trying to classify. Obviously some things are more coded to be Mexican or black or white because it's ingrained culturally, but kind of nitpicking it, it kind of limits what the black identity and what the Mexican identity right. could be. And I also think about like, for instance, like Afro-Caribbean folk and their conflict with, you know, other Latin groups and like going to Argentina and learning about that there are still very, I said in the United States, we have very implicit racism and other like Latin American countries, there's very explicit racism yeah. with like a preference for whiteness that they openly say. Um, but just like understanding that people around the world are always like struggling. It's like a constant like give and take. And I don't know, it's very interesting. I like I like reading about these things. I was talking with Julian the other day of like how I didn't want to go to Paris because I, I, like it was extremely racist country. Yeah. He's like, Marissa, everywhere's racist. Yeah. So I mean, I get an argument. I still don't want to go to France. Cause I think some of like, they're making racist policies out there. I don't want to support that. Specifically against like Arab people. Yes. And like, like blatantly saying that like some people are banned from wearing the hijab in public, I'm like yes. this is crazy. And like, I just don't like, okay, that's one example of like racism, but on this concept of just doing off the wall stuff yes. and no consequences, I was reading this, it was this blurb of like what's going on in the US right now. And one of the things that was brought up was there was like this bill that was getting passed in different states trying to reduce childhood hunger uh, over the summers by providing- This is exactly what I was gonna talk about! Dude, and like, I don't even know which senator or governor said that childhood obesity <laughs> is a problem. And that's why I was like, we gotta be kidding. That's exactly the point I yeah. was gonna bring up. They're like, we are already, like, we, the kids don't need more food. A lot of them are already fat. And I'm just like- I was just no. like, how can we, like, can we be more serious? Like, how can we just, how can people just say this? Also, I'd like to add to the argument, a lot of times obesity is caused by the fact that you can't afford nutritious food. The link between poverty and obesity is insane. Yeah. So yeah, you're not giving them more food, but what you are providing, or you're giving them more food, but you're providing them 
with healthier and nutritious meals. They get to get produce, like they get a good source of protein and shutting that off is only going to contribute to the problem. I feel like I watched this documentary that was about COVID and like it was about childhood uh, hunger like during COVID because mm -hmm. kids didn't have access to, you know, the meals that they got in school. And they were just talking about how like minority, like there was like a plethora of like McDonald's, Taco Bell rallies, whatever, whatever. But like, again, they lived in a food desert and it's like, yeah, this is part of the problem. Like when you only have access to this really fast food and of course you're also sometimes impoverished, like it's... Mm -hmm. It's not the best. So. And like how a lot of times people will like target those areas specifically. Like I'm sorry, you do not need a Burger King, a McDonald's, and a Burger King right next to each other. That's like a whole other issue. Like we're like a lot of times like the same franchises will pop up on the same yeah. streets because they realize they're doing popular because there's no other option. And I think that's also contributing to the obesity problem is not allowing people to have options or even being aware of options. I wish we had more Aldi's though. Shout out to Aldi. Yes, I love Aldi. That's what I asked Do for Christmas. <laughs> I literally, for Christmas, I was like, I want all these gift cards. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's real though. Like, I literally, uh, Brie and I started going there when, um, like, things happened with, like, with Palestine and Gaza because we were just trying to be, I don't know, consume less from, like, major producers. What do you call it? Their, uh, Diet Coke version, their, it's called Diet Summit, is better than Diet Coke. Then I'm gonna have to get it because I stopped. I used to be drinking Diet Coke a lot, but then I stopped. Let me hop on Diet Coke. Summit. Because I got Julian hooked on it because I decided to go for Diet Summit Diet Coke. And now he's like, can we go to Aldi to get more soda? <laughs> Every single time. Like, he's like, can we go to Aldi? <laughs> and so it's that. awesome. Good deal. So we talked about dating outside of our race and ethnicity. I think we hit a lot about the mixed identities. We talked about our, our families, and I know one of the things I asked you was like, oh, what do you want to talk about? She said, daddy issues. Dun 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 dun. For context, I love my father. But, yeah. Um, For context, my father's dead. <laughs> I love my father. Uh, my mom put it very well. We are exactly the same people, but with just different values. So we're very headstrong. I like to think that I listen to the other's opinion uh, and like will make arguments based off of that. My father, you could tell him the sun, that the sun is uh, yellow. And if he's like, no, it's green, no matter what you could like do, say, put in front of him, it will still be green in his mind which has led to a lot of fun political uh, debates, ethical debates, uh, moral debates. And so we are the same person. We have a lot of the same interests and stuff. But when we have like two very different opinions, especially with like Palestine, I am of the belief that was what the IDF is doing is wrong. And he is has the opposite opinion and stuff like that. And so when I try to explain to him why it's wrong he throws back the same kind of three facts or the three things that everybody who supports israel is saying and then like i'm arguing it what does he say it's like hamas are terrorists and it's just dude i had this conversation literally today with someone where i clarified that one i think there's like a un charter where it specifies that if you are in an occup like if you are being occupied Resistance groups that spring up aren't necessarily considered terrorist groups, mm -hmm. which people obviously when the media says that they're terrorists, when the president of the United States says that they're terrorists, of course you think that. But it's like I have to do a lot of clearing up of the facts. People say if Hamas would stop, but it's just like 
this has been going on way before Hamas yeah. was created. And, like, my mom just, like, doesn't know, doesn't really care. So I try to explain things to her, and she's just, like, clueless about it. And so it's a combination of my mom, like, asking a question just because she wants to know, and then me and my dad having to debate over who is properly asking her question. Yeah. And so it's very frustrating. And I just think sometimes, too, like... He's a conservative man, so like our viewpoints are drastically different. And I got pissed at him the other day. I don't know why, but it, some people think it's funny to like hate on their spouse. And so my dad made like a joke about how he thought it was like her marriage to my her my mom is like torture or is like a job that he's fulfilling. And I was like, well, if it's torture, it's like then just get divorced. And he's like, what? And like got so defensive it's like no i love your mom and i'm like then why would you say something right. like that and i read a quote i forgot where along the lines of a daughter will never forgive her father for what a mother will essentially so my mm. mom like even though they bicker a lot or like she'll complain about it but she won't say anything or won't do anything to try to fix the problem and so i'll address it i'll tell him straight up and so he gets mad at that because for the first time he's facing a, like a large conflict. And I also think dads are more scared of their daughters and their daughters are of them. Cause he won't, he'll still be in the right, but if he knows, if he did something racially insensitive or said something racially insensitive when I was home over break, I tore him a new one and I'm like, I don't want to be in the same room with you now. The next day I got a hand-drawn note that said, I'm sorry, I'm stupid. And I was like, okay. And so I'm like, what are you sorry for? And he's like, I'm sorry I pissed you off. And I'm like, then you're not sorry. That's not what you should be sorry about. You should be sorry that you said something that was like extremely hurtful to other people. And so having that kind of like constant battle while also still maintaining a, health, a healthy relationship or like a growing relationship with your dad has been something very interesting and i know like i'm not alone in that because of like the quotes that i brought up and stuff one of the things that i wanted to ask you is what do you think an ideal like daughter father relationship looks like because and along the same lines of like what do you think the role is of a father like what values or purposes are unique to fathers because i think that that's something that like I've struggled with understanding and I don't know if some of my behavior, like maybe my more uh, self-destructive behavior arises from my lack of a relationship with my father. And I've met like on the mending end with my relationship with my mother, which I think a big a part of my like issues stem from. Yeah. Um, not to blame my mom because she has a plethora of things that she's gone through. And like as yeah. I grow to understand more about her and like learn about her own history, like I heard this thing, it's like, uh, your parents have known you your entire life, but you've only known your parents the extent of yes. your life. And, like, they were a person before they became a parent. So, like, I want to learn more about my mom in that aspect. But on that note, like, about my father in particular, in therapy, one of the things I've been trying to work on is, like, unpacking my relationship with my father or lack thereof. I don't know. What do you think, it, like, the role of a father is? At least in my life, my dad has been a good role model in terms of what he is a good dad he's always mm -hmm. like shown up to sporting events like done the extra thing and like done the extra mile and i have like friends who will complain about their moms not saying anything because their dads have not been as present in their life or have not been present or like not responsible in a way like a parent and a spouse should 
and so for that I give him kudos. I think it's a learning lesson of what you should kind of look for in like another part person in a straight relationship with a partner. Because like even though I don't agree with my dad, I know I never want to marry someone like him. So I think it gives you a good, at least with married parents too, it gives you a good insight to have of a different relationship dynamic other than your own of these people and kind of helps you realize they are their own people. Can I just say, uh, you made me think of like this idea, like for instance, like I feel like uh, a lot of my caregivers were women growing mm -hmm. up and I'm sure that's happened in the past too. So I think that's why it's harder for me to conceptualize what exactly the role of a father is when a lot of moms mm -hmm. take the role of the yes. father and the mother. Like they're like just the primary caregiver. So yeah. it's harder for me to try to think about, you know, what is the role of her dad when sometimes it wasn't even necessary to have a dad. Yeah, and if, I don't know if you've heard the term married single mother. Ooh. It's where basically like, uh, there was a TikTok I saw of, I don't know who was recording it. People were like thinking it was like the daughter to like show back to her mother to be like, no, this is wrong. It was the woman does like take, took care of the children all the day, made dinner and was now cleaning up dinner, had like done all the housework to host that entire day and the member just on the couch watching the football game. Yeah. And it's just like, like I get it, you like your sport, but like there are other <coughs> things to contribute. Or like the men who will do the weirdest chores from like you have company over, like my dad's guilty of this too, where it's like, oh, like we need to clean the house and my dad is like out in like the garage making a ladder. And it's like, you don't need to do that right now. You need to help us clean the house. Let me go organize the tools. Yeah. And I mean, it makes sense because then my dad, when company comes over, it gets to show, oh, I've been working on this ladder. Look what I've been doing. This makes me think of this woman in politics class that I took sophomore year. And it, it highlights like a lot of the issues within relationships and how specifically like women who try to pursue careers, the struggles that they have, specifically trying to juggle a family and like the lack of opportunities that they take or that they are able to receive because they have a family. Uh, but one thing in particular that I thought of when you're talking about chores, it was like this woman who was sharing her experience, they just had like a child and the child was crying in the middle of the night. And so she go, like she told the husband like, can you go get a bottle? And so like, he got the bottle from the dishwasher that was full of clean dishes and only got that and didn't put the dishwasher, like the dishes mm -hmm. away or anything like that. And like, that's the thing when I think about like, I, oh, oh, like I think about a compassionate man, which is hard to find because first of all, men don't like have emotionally intelligent conversations with their friends. That's just something that's not normal. Mm -hmm. Oh, I read this article the other day that was talking about how women want a golden retriever boyfriend. And the article basically said, yeah, women want a golden retriever boyfriend who's like, you know, caring and compassionate. And it's like the bare minimum of a relationship. And I'm like, yeah, like, but you're not wrong. Because if I were to date a guy, I would want to date a golden retriever guy. Mm -hmm. And I think with that too, it, men in conversation for them, it's a power balance. They have something to prove. Their whole entire goal within a conversation is to take control of the conversation and be the dominant kind of like, or have a dominant position in the conversation. That is their goal. Their goal is to show off or kind of express their position. Women, however, often see um, conversation as a way to connect. Mm -hmm. So oftentimes that's why we see men who just 
don't get it because their logical thing is I have something to prove. If you ask them for help, they'll help because that's their way of proving it. However, they won't think to do something in the first place because they don't want to, that connection. They don't want to like earn your trust or like build that connection by doing the dishes or doing whatever. They want that power so when you ask them, oh yeah, they'll do it, but now you've asked something of them. I don't know. I think that's kind of weird. I also just think it's hard for me to think about fathers in general when, and you know, this could be like a media bias on my end. I think that men get a bad rep, but I also think that they deserve it though. Do you know what I mean? Like some, not all men. And of course I'm not trying to like generalize. And I don't want to come across as like a man hating feminist because I think that's very silly. And I have friendships with men that I like value a lot. Like Jack and I are friends, right? Mm -hmm. And like you can be friends with men and appreciate them and see that it's really not all of them. But I do think it's hard when, like, I think about the guys around us sometimes who are, like, our peers and, you know, thinking about them growing into fathers, um, caring, and, like, not truly having explored emotional vulnerability in some instances. Mm -hmm. And that's what I would say. Like, I think that fathers, typically, you think of them as, like, a protector, right, of, like, the family. I think that's a good Mm -hmm. thing to have, right? I think that, like, feeling a sense of safety can come from having a father present not saying that women are like weak or anything like that but like i think that that is one good role that men can provide but when you have men being shown as the aggressor because if they do have that kind of power to protect that means they also have the power to hurt in a very Mm -hmm. drastic way and so i can think that like maybe a lot of fathers um use the power that they can have and that they can wield to protect their family to hurt their family instead which doesn't necessarily add to it And I don't think they're necessarily like believe like understanding that they're they're hurting their family. I think they take their role as protector so seriously that any like fragility of them could be um, perceived as a threat to the family's safety. Like they have they have this belief yeah. that they have to be the emotionally stable one. Cause I. I don't know if you're familiar with the game, We're Not Really Strangers. I've heard of it, yeah. I love that game. And so I decided to, I bought it and decided to play it with my mom because I knew, like, I knew, I was trying to, like, bond with her more. We've had a bit of a rocky past just because, uh, unlike my father, we have very different, like, personalities, but very similar ideals. So that was, like, another weird kind of thing I had to navigate yeah. and differences with my mother. And so we were playing this game. My dad walked in, and he's like, oh, I'll play with you guys. And so um, uh, I asked the question, when was the last time you cried that wasn't physical pain? And so my dad immediately said, I don't think I've ever done that, which I know is a lie. Like, I've asked, oh, I think with generations it's getting a lot better because i've asked this to a couple other like male friends and stuff like that mm-hmm. and they've really they've been a little bit more honest they've at least said that they have when like oh like oh when somebody left for college or when my dog died when my grandpa died something like that my dad i who i know for a fact has cried um when we put our dog down and i told him that and he flat out denied it what so i think he thinks of his role as almost so important that he's not allowed to feel. And like, I think as a family, we need to be reinforcing, no, you can, we want you to do that. You don't have to be 
this tough exterior 24-7. But however, our society and gender roles have ingrained that in men. And I think that mental tax, the mental tax on them is also affecting the way they see housework and other stuff and is it a way to like prevent fragility. Cause, oh, my wife does the dishes. I don't want to do the dishes because I'm a protector. I'm not, that's- That's not my role. That's not his role, yeah, exactly. Like, on the note of, like, men crying and, like, just being emotion emotionally vulnerable. I don't know if you saw this, like, trend on TikTok, but it was, like, men, they were stitching this video that I think was talking about, like, men's suicide rates increasing. Mm -hmm. And these men who were stitching this video were just kind of talking about how it's incredibly difficult for them. Like, they're like, yeah, this is happening because men, we can't open up, yada, yada, yada. And, like, saying, we just can't do this. We can't do this at all. When I find that just really hard to believe because if anything, I think a lot of women would prefer men to mm -hmm. open up and to be more emotionally honest with them so that they can understand where they're coming from. And also to just kind of normalize saying, yeah, like I'm not having a good day or yeah, I actually have this like really bad thing about myself that I hate. And the book I read, it was hilarious. This uh, man broke up with his girlfriend, found someone and dated someone new. And after that girl dumped him, he went back to the ex for emotional support because he needed someone to talk to because he was, that was the only person that he really felt comfortable talking to. Yeah. And so, I mean, good that he went back and had that like I mean, outlet, but that's kind of weird. Another reason that this thing needs to be fixed is because now that puts all of the pressure on us not to be caretakers of the home, but to be caretakers of men's emotions. I've had a similar experience where I, an ex asked me for relationship advice and I was like, why are you coming to me? And like, you can't, like, I'm just thinking like, oh, what would happen if like a man went to another man about relationship advice? Like, how do I, you know, I'm feeling like mm -hmm. they wouldn't, they, I don't think they would be feel comfortable in like, I'm kind of hung up on this girl and I can't get over her because some guy's like, ah, oh, get over it, you know, get over, get over that girl, also, they all go find a new girl. They see asking for help as a handing over of their power. So by asking for help to a man, I am now physically giving you the power over me versus women that men kind of understand that women don't take it that way. I mean, in general, they have a hard time coming to people for help, but that's why they go more towards women because it doesn't feel like a sacrifice of power because women will meet them halfway. It's unique when you put it into a power dynamic perspective. I had to unlearn how to be okay being vulnerable with people. I had to learn. You said when was the last time you cried? I remember I literally cried last Friday because I was talking about the podcast, actually. I was getting, I was in this interview and, you know, I was just, there were tears of happiness because I was thinking like, yeah, like, one of my good guy friends, uh, he's my best friend in high school, he was just really telling me how much he has learned from me in my podcast. And that makes me feel so happy because like that's what mm -hmm. I want people to take away. Like I want you to take away something or just like enjoy listening. Um, and it just made me so happy that I cried obviously because it's like yeah. something I'm proud about. But like even stuff like that, like tears of joy, do men do that, you know? Mm -hmm. But like again, even though I was taught to really suppress my own emotions, I was able to grow out of that. I was mm -hmm. able to realize that this is a very inhibitory thing right it is making it hard to develop intimate relationships with others if i can't be vulnerable with them if i can't go to them and talk about things that do deeply upset me and so i'm super happy that like i've gone past that emotional immaturity aspect of not being able to talk about my feelings and not specifically just not being able to cry in front of people yeah. which i still don't get me wrong i still don't like crying in front of people like i apologize i'm like i'm sorry and then i try to stop it do you know what i mean 
but at least I do it and I don't feel guilty afterwards or I don't hate myself for mm -hmm. crying in front of someone. I'm just like, ah, maybe that was a little bit embarrassing, but it's okay. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But not everybody has that, so. Hmm. Okay. What are your thoughts on 9 11? Yeah. <laughs> what? For context, oh I get a lot of 9 11 memes from Marissa, okay? <laughs> yes, okay. I but seriously, and like talking about 9 11 memes, online behavior, what is a degenerate and would you say you're a degenerate? Absolutely, I am one. I'm gonna, I wanna say I'd be a full degenerate. I am an online user, but I don't have a Twitter. I would, actually, I don't know if I'd be like, I'm like a slight degenerate. I wouldn't say, cause I am very like particular with my media. I like following a lot of wholesome content. I'm not talking about like wholesome, like I shout out all the bad. Like obviously I follow an amazing account called Palestinian Martyrs that like show all of the lives and like tell a little bit about the people who have been killed mm -hmm. uh, during like airstrikes and stuff like that. Uh, I follow a lot of news sites but I choose to not follow or interact with accounts that don't put <coughs> positivity in the world. Some of like the cringe accounts I see of like just tearing people down because they're a little bit odd, I don't like. I feel like a degenerate is someone who kind of fully dives into that side. And I mean, if some people like, I think the ugly needs to be exposed, but I think willingly subjecting yourself to it so much to the point where it changes you as a person is where you kind of reach degenerate level. I for sure am a degenerate. I mean, look at my wall screen. Okay, look at my yeah, background right now. I've been staring at Pokey's ah, eyes nom, for the past nom, nom. hour. Why is he screaming? Yeah, no, I love that about him. Scream. Anyway, no, but I think I am a degenerate. I would say a degenerate in incels. So somebody who's an incel is involuntarily celibate. And when you think about like an incel, think about like, I feel like I think about like someone who's like neck dirty. Beard, neck beard. Neck beard, dirty. Lives in his, lives in, it's involuntary celibate. Says mean. slurs in the cod lobby. Yeah, calls women Floyds. What uh, is a foid? A foid, I don't know the actual definition of it, but it's a slur that incels use for women. I think it's like female void or something. Or it's like, we are just a woman, this is just someone who takes up space and it should be only used what? for sex. Something ah! like, yeah, it's horrible. Yeah, foid is, I don't, I think foid is a slur towards women. I wouldn't know. Um, so interesting. So. Yeah. I'm gonna start saying that, derogatory. So, I, I, I guess, actually, I am a bit of a degenerate because I'm on Reddit and I love following, um, the Reddit subs, the Reddit's for not how girls work and incels. Just because I would like to see, like, it's like almost satirical sometimes. I'm like, this is how people really think of others. I think that being online, I think one of the characteristics of a degenerate is being chronically online yeah. and just knowing a lot about like online culture, specifically weird subgroups or like very unique subgroups. For instance, there's this trend where there's like US federal codes. <gasps> yes, you know what I'm talking about. No, no, no. And I'm like, this is so funny. This is so funny. And I'm just like so brain broken. Funny memes about US federal codes because I'm learning something, right? Yeah. And then I also just like anime content in general. I get a lot of anime edits. Mm -hmm. I get a lot of like anime memes, specifically for JJK. And I that's why I use Twitter a lot is just for anime stuff. Yeah. I had a Twitter for like a month and I'm like, I hate this. So one of the main reasons I stopped too was like the general, but just like the amount of like racism and horrible things that are posted. There's a lot of like bad sexual content and like 
Sexual content itself isn't bad, but a lot of times like it's like revenge porn. So you have to be like careful of stuff like that. And uh, in fact, Twitter po had an AI bot that would make tweets and within the first 24 hours of it being up, because it had sucked up so much of the bad stuff from Reddit, it denied the Holocaust and said that women should not be allowed to vote. What the hell? So I think that kind of speaks for a whole of why I don't like Twitter or X very much. I don't get that at all, like genuinely. And I need some, I, need, I just need to watch a YouTube video nowadays that just goes over like neo-Nazi rhetoric because I just find it insane. And I'm like, is this really an issue? And then when I started looking into it, it's a huge issue. Yeah, I'm obviously not part of these communities, so I yeah. don't know where to start but to kind of wrap up if you were talking myself from uh, yourself from my perspective what do you think you would need to hear what do you say to yourself stay offline <laughs> stay offline no i think it would be probably more along the lines of just like just push through i'm i'd say mentally i mean i'm right now at this point in my life the most mentally healthy i have been in a long period of time. I like that. Are there any like last words that you have to say to people? In terms of like maintaining a relationship with your father, I feel like you have to pick and choose your battles. Like I said, my father will argue in circles and you, for your sanity, even like if it's dealing with a difficult person, you have to know when to walk away when it's like starting to affect your mental health. Cause as much as I would love to sit and try to drill in like, ethics into my father that's not going to ever happen so it's just like what can you do to avoid those conversations and just instead promote healthy ones we're all for promoting healthy relationships this year um well with that last piece of advice being said thank you for coming today and for chatting it up with me i hope you guys all enjoy this um yeah if you if you're happy and you know what I don't know why I was getting in my head. Anyway, I don't know, you know. I hope you guys have a good rest of your day, and I hope you stay awesome. Bye. I don't know why I went for clapping. I was like, <laughs> I think the song is still stuck in my head. I went to go clap your hands, clap, clap. Oh my gosh.